And now, coming to you live, but not really live, from Gut Check World Headquarters in the capital city of a boxing glove-shaped state, and Gut Check South Command, deep in the belly button above the buckle of the Bible Belt, it's the Gut Check Podcast, with your hosts, Ted Cluck and Zach Bartles. Hey, welcome to the Gut Check Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by my partner, my partner in business, my partner in publishing, my partner in podcasting, one Zachary Bartles. Zach, we have a very special uh, event upcoming. Here in a few weeks, we are going to be reunited in Israel, baby. Um, I, I just want to know like, how you're feeling about that. Are you excited? Dude, I am so jazzed. I am I'm beyond excited. Yeah. I'm, I've too. been making uh, playlists, which is the most important thing to do when preparing mm-hmm. to travel to the other side of the world. Dude, so so you're envisioning a scenario in which you're like on the plane and 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 your headphones are in and you're listening to playlists that you've uh, that you've made for the event. Yes, crafted specifically for a trip to Israel from can, from can you, JFK, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Can you can you talk about that? Can you talk about like what's on the playlist? What how you how you made the playlist, etc. I've got uh, I've got some Matis Yahoo. Okay. Uh, I've got some. I've got pretty much the whole uh, Praise and Arrows album that that uh, songs inspired by Cliff Graham's uh, novels. Great. Um, some POD, some old school POD. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it was. What what, what the core is kind of uh, yeah. of of this particular uh, playlist, but but it definitely all has something in common. It's all kind of like uh, music you would listen to when about to I don't know, go shoot some. Like an old dishwasher that doesn't work. Yeah. In the back 40. Mm. Dishwasher shooting music then. <laughs> yeah. I got yeah. you, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, it's a lot of music that I've heard. There's a, there's a local dishwasher shooting music station. Yeah. And, and a lot of that. Uh, That's a format that I think all of our listeners are, are you know, familiar with. You really, know? it's, you know, what college radio was to the 90s. Um, dishwasher, dishwasher shooting <laughs> music is, yeah, to today. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. I couldn't agree more, baby. And speaking of, actually, that's a. That is a masterful segue, Zach. I'm glad you led me into that because we received uh, a shipment. Part of being public figures and, and celebrities, you know, if I, could, <laughs> if I could use that term. Um, I guess you could use the term. I'm using the term is the thing. I'm just using. I'm just going ahead and using the term. Part of being Walmart famous. Well, part of part of being who we are is that. Periodically, people will send us things, and, and let me be clear about this. Okay, we haven't been we haven't been super clear about this lately. In, in recent episodes, we like it when you send us stuff. That we do. We like it when you send us gifts. We like it when you send us old electronics. Um, we had a guy. He's a first lieutenant of the Gutcheck Army. He's from the High Plains region of Wyoming. Um, Zach. His name is Cody Anderson, and what Cody sent us uh, can best. <laughs> It can best be described as th- these might be like uh, dishwasher shooting energy drinks is yes. maybe the, the best way to describe it. So if, if you're in the kind of situation where you can just walk like out your back porch and shoot up some old appliances, um, this would be the drink for you. So Cody Anderson, uh, we're super appreciative from Wyoming. He, he sent us care packages in which were two uh, mossy oak pursuit energy uh drinks and zach i have the can in front of me i hope you also have the can in front of you am, am i right in assuming that you do in your studio it is in my hand and and i think we should mention the the real perseverance shown by by cody anderson because 
Yeah. And the, the willingness for personal sacrifice in that he had some mossy oak energy drinks for us in his car, and mm-hmm. then in the cold they exploded. Mm. And instead of just saying, forget this, he, he actually cleaned up the, well, ostensibly, uh, all yeah. of the energy drink from the car and then bought more. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Cody. Cody's been through some stuff, man. This was not just like, <laughs> you know, falling off a, a mossy oak log to, to send us these energy drinks. So, uh, Cody, we appreciate your perseverance. And Zach, I want to dive right in here. This is an old kind of uh, conceit. It's a, it's a vintage bit that we did here on the program. We've been energy, uh, reviewing energy drinks um, since the beginning of this show, and I'm happy to be diving back into this. So I want you to talk me through sort of what you're feeling as you look at this can. I, I mean, obviously, I have some thoughts, too, um, and we'll get to those, but I, I want you to talk me through kind of where you're at with this, with this packaging. I think it looks like it's going to be gross. Okay. Um, and that's Why? okay. I, that's actually that's you preferable. On that? uh, and, and I want to say to Cody that I'm not saying we're, we're unappreciative. If it turns out gross, it's almost more fun to review the gross ones. Uh, and really all that's left that we haven't reviewed is some really bizarre stuff. But I guess the reason is um, because of the kind of orange. The, what, what I'm seeing on the can is like, I guess it's, I don't know, some sort of uh, undergrowth or some, some sort of like dead grass um kind of camo like hey <laughs> let's see if He's it's back. still hearing you it is okay oh, i hope so thank cool thank god um i'm gonna hit right. are you on your phone dude no i'm on my uh i'm on the the, the blue ball here in my weird. office I, it's weird that it would drop the connection yeah it's strange it's really strange yeah nothing's right. changed about my situation so we are we are rolling uh so i was gonna say what I'm seeing, I mean, the, the design of the can is that it's kind of a camo looking, but like the kind of like dead grass and like corn husk kind of camo. Kind yeah, of, not like army camo. This like, is like I'm, I'm going hunting camo. Yes, you know? and, it, and it's a very tan-based camo. It's a tan base. It's, it's dead husks of grass. And then like, around the, the whole can is an orange uh, stripe upon which yeah. it says Mossy Oak Pursuit Energy. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I think it's going to be gross is because of the color of the orange on that stripe. It, it Interesting. evokes for me cleaning product of some kind mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. I don't know, not, not something delicious. It's the wrong orange. Yeah, you know what orange it is, Zach? It's, uh, th- this is safety vest orange. <laughs> this is – so if you're, if you're going hunting, you put on like camo, uh, like, like a jacket and pants in this kind of like dead grass motif. Uh-huh. Um, but then sometimes you'll put on like a hat, like an orange hat, um, so that people don't shoot you. You know what I mean? Because you you blend so seamlessly into the into the brush <laughs> and the growth. Um, you you got to put on a hat of this kind of orange that just says, "Hey, like I'm here. Don't shoot me." Now I'm no I'm no hunter, so I don't yeah. I don't know why. But doesn't it seem kind of like counterproductive? Like I mean, why not just dress in whatever you feel like? You yeah, know? why not? Wear like jeans and a t-shirt. Right, you you, know, you will be point. seen, and you and you know, like to wear to go to the the lengths to be as blending in to the point where you're afraid you will be shot, and then be like, oh wait, let me wear some super bright orange. Yeah, oh wait, <laughs> let me throw a hat on, you know, just to be safe. Like as as though the deer, like from the neck down, the deer is super confused because he just sees like grass swishing and stuff <laughs> as you're moving around. He assumes then, it's like, just a hat. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's just a disembodied hat kind of floating around. Flitting when, here and there, yeah. 
Yeah, my question was, and I, and I know you're you're probably thinking the same thing. What happens if the deer like cranes its neck up and sees the orange? Uh, <laughs> isn't he going to be thrown off and and like taken aback by that? In the Ted, same they don't way? do that. It, maybe they don't see, and and that's that's where my expertise kind of runs out. I don't know what they can and can't do uh, <laughs> in that way. But Zach, I'm I'm seeing the same things on this can, and and I'm going to tell you though, there's something I appreciate about it. And um, I want to just kind of suss this out before we get into the drink itself. Um, so there's the Mossy Oak logo. I, I assume, I think that's like a, like if you're the kind of guy that like drives a four-wheeler around sometimes, like this is, this is a brand that's like notable to you. I feel like Mossy Oak, they do other stuff besides just drinks. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, that, that, that uh, logo does not look like a foodstuffs primarily logo to me. No, uh, I think... I think primarily they're they're into other things over at Mossy Oak. You know, this isn't their their core business, which which honestly doesn't uh, it doesn't fill me with a lot of hope for the drink. Well, if you look on the back, there's no real copy, but underneath the ingredients it says official licensed product of Haas Outdoors Incorporated. So Haas. it seems like kind of an outdoors. If Carabas had a drink, you know, it'd be kind of the equivalent of that. Here, here's what I like about it, Zach. And you tell me if if I'm off base here, if you're if you're with me on this. I love that the 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 brand the flavor of this drink is simply orange. Yes, there's like so they, 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 after all the names of all the stupid things that we've drank. Yeah, spider monster, you know, venom, Yerba mate culture. Bite. Yeah, yeah. It's simply and it's and it's in like aerial font. Yes, it's just orange. Dude, I respect the heck out of that. That actually gives me a little hope it. about this. I respect the heck out of it. Well, let's exactly. open it. Let's get into this. Let's crack it open. Let's get the nose. Let's go through the whole thing. That's the sound of Mossy Oak Energy uh, being opened in the studio. Simultaneously in two time zones. Interesting. Uh, talk us through the nose, if you would. I don't smell much. It's a very, very faint smell of like regular like high C orange pop. Yeah, I smell high C orange pop. That's exactly where I was going with that. Um, would you like to take a sip? It's it's like high C, but with a tiny bit of a kind of after like a metallic aftertaste. Yeah, it's like metallic off-brand orange soda, Zach. And when I when I sip this drink, um, which I will do here in my studio for the for the duration of the program, you know who I could envision drinking this? Who's that? This is a guy who has has stalked a lot of people in a in a hunting type scenario, and and you know he's lain in a lot of brush. Over the years, as he's uh, affixed various things onto his rifles, um, and I think I think you know where I'm going with this. It's Steven Seagal. I could see Steven Seagal drinking. For a moment, I thought you were talking about Cliff Graham. Honestly, well, that's the that's the funny thing, Zach. It could have been Cliff Graham because uh, doggone it, there's just so much in common between Cliff Graham and Steven Seagal. And you and I had a we had an interesting experience with Steven Seagal. And by that, I don't mean the real Steven Seagal. I mean his work, his body of work. <laughs> and by his body of work, I don't mean all the people he's killed. I mean, I mean the, the, the series of, this is fascinating, six or seven movies that he made in the course of one year. Seven which is, movies in 2016. It's astonishing, Zach. All straight to video. It's absolutely astonishing um, until we watched one of the movies and – it was only when we watched one of these pictures that I that I it became clear to me why they were able to do so many of them in such a short time. Um, 
why don't you set up, Zach, what, what the people are about to hear? Because what they're going to hear um, is, is some original commentary that we taped uh, via Skype while watching one of these pictures. So tell us about the movie. So it, it, it harkens back to what we used to do, our, our favorite, uh, when, when our families got together. And mm-hmm. by families, I mean the children were banished to a different floor of the house. And That's as it should be. Us and our wives. Um, That's right. We, would, we realized early on that we didn't really always like the same movies. Mm-hmm. Like we we had a, a, a certain movies like Swingers, you know, that we really liked, but yeah. but there were it was not enough overlap for us to safely watch movies together, unless they were crappy yeah. movies and we were that's, mocking them. That's so right. That became our standard thing to do, and you know, honestly, that's one of the things we miss the most over here in the the Bartles household mm-hmm. uh, since you've too. left. So we used we were like we were thinking about how there was this technology that never fails and it always works perfectly called Skype. Yeah. Um. Why not use that to watch the same movie with this other technology called Netflix? Mm. And that way we could we could kind of offer our, our droll commentary and mock a horrible movie. <laughs> uh, in this case, uh, Code of Honor, uh, produced mm-hmm. by, written by, directed by, starring Steven Seagal. <laughs> and uh, so we did that. And, and honestly, the connection worked pretty well. And I think we had the movies almost perfectly synced. Um, and so we watched this this film. I think it was four number four of seven movies that uh, he put out in the straight to DVD market in 2016. Uh, and now on my Netflix queue, whenever I go in there to watch something for real, there's about seven Steven Seagal movies, and they all say because you watched Code of Honor. I'm so sick of this. Hello. You there? Yeah. Good. Can you okay. hear me? I can. You sound like you're in a, a tin can, but I can hear you. Yeah, I'm actually in a tin can. That's... <laughs> All right. I so it was I, a dad joke. Ironically, as I was as I was talking about the as I was ironically talking about how, how... <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. Maybe you're in. so out of sorts. <laughs> I'm good. You're I'm s- back. I'm fine. At least shake it off. You're not fine. You're just saying you're fine. <laughs> I know, though. I know you. I know that you're out of sorts. How can I help? <laughs> Cutest. Even the, even the Mossy Oak Pursuit Energy Orange isn't helping. <laughs> I just took a drink. I just took a big swig of orange. All right. Let me jump in. Ironically, okay. as, I was, as I was sarcastically <laughs> saying that Skype works perfectly uh yeah our call dropped for the fourth time so now sure ted's did. on his phone and that's why he sounds like he's like a, a little like a tiny little man in a, in a cardboard box <laughs> wouldn't that be funny if i was a tiny a tiny little man in a cardboard box you I could mean, just you wouldn't even need a, a ticket to go to israel we could just put you in like the carry-on <laughs> they could put me in like a shoe box like a little <laughs> shoe box <laughs> so um uh, you know what we should do now what baby we should introduce the uh, the clips Mm. Yeah, we should. We should introduce the clips. Wait, what clips? <laughs> <laughs> the clips of the movie? Mm-hmm. Of the Seagal movie? Yeah, of yeah. us of us watching the Seagal movie together. The thing is, I thought that's what we were doing. Am I, am, am I wrong in thinking that this whole thing, this last couple of minutes, has been, if nothing else, an, an introduction of the clips? You know? <laughs> Yeah, I think you're I right. I mean, if man. this has been anything, it's been it's been that, you know. 
I mean, maybe you were laboring under the under the misconception <laughs> that this was something other than it, than what it was. You know. <laughs> Sometimes it's confusing to do radio, you know? <laughs> like one host thinks one thing's happening and another thinks another. I meant, <laughs> I meant the more immediate, like, here's some clips. <laughs> uh, okay, so so literally saying, just saying, here's some clips. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have taken less time than me saying we should do it. <laughs> All right, so so I, we got to be pros about this. we got to be radio pros about this. So, um, Zach, what I'm going to do now is introduce some clips of of the movie... What's the name of the movie, Judas? Code uh, of Honor. Code of Honor. Yeah, of course. How could I forget Code of Honor? I mean, it's so distinctive a title from his other titles. Yeah, like you know they don't I mean? all blur together in one cliche of one in to one three in word. one three word cliche. Yeah. <laughs> Although, so Zach, what? Ted, I, he does have coming out uh-huh. a four word uh, movie, four word title, which okay, is, what is uh, Above the Law Two. Oh, above the law too. He's nice. trying to get back to his '90s success, but he's not his going 90s to make roots. it. No, he sure isn't. The, yeah, his '90s roots, isn't. meaning the jet black, like ink dyed roots of his beard and hair. They're right, dipped into a vat of of cheap black paint, or like tar. Uh, like he went to the tar pits and just <laughs> held his breath. And <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Though we're getting off topic, Zach, because what I was going to do was introduce these clips. <laughs> Right? I believe that's what we're already doing. <laughs> oh, now you got me all confused. <laughs> Baby, allow me to introduce these clips by saying, here are some clips from Steven Seagal's 2016 release, Code of Honor. Uh, Premier Entertainment Group. Zach, I always look for things from them. <laughs> and Steamroller Productions. Here's the thing. I feel like Lionsgate is completely legitimate. Like, they make, like, real, like, blockbuster Dude, films. You know what this proves? It what? means there is a small but loyal audience for this. And, and Lionsgate thought that they could make... Right. Baby, this is a cigar movie. Look Dude, at this. It's like a goatee. C- Seagal has that like really dark, dyed goatee in everything. Yes. Now. Wait, in all seven know. movies he makes every year. That's I'm Seagal. It looks like he dipped, his, oh he dipped his chin in a vat of black paint. Oh, he just lit up, dude. He's relighting. Mm. He, he Ted, I like this 666 in the background. Ooh. Oh, I see that. There's some spiritual significance in this. Ted, so far, I, if the movie ended right now, I'd give it a B. Yeah. I would too. You know what? This holds up. <laughs> this holds up. You know, the first minute and three seconds. Judas Priest, dude. I can't believe we're watching this. This is absolutely like a, an episode of Burn Notice production wise. Yes, except uh, considerably worse. <laughs> dude, so let, let's just do a little quick math. If he made seven of these movies in 2016. That's like over one every two months. Yes. Over one. He probably makes over. them in like a week and a half a piece, and then he, you know, just kind of goes and eats and drinks himself, you know. Here's the problem. Why has it taken me like a year and a half to make one movie? Because you cared what it turned out like, Ted. That's true. You know what I'm concerned about with this gang war? <laughs> what? That factory is just going to take on a lot of damage, and mm. it's like, what did they yeah. do to deserve that, you know? Right, what I mean, about the Everman, the blue-collar worker? Oh, oh, the dialogue oh. in this is... Oh! oh. <laughs> Dude, did, so, did, did Seagal shoot the yes, drugs? It went, it went he shot the him. drugs, and, oh, and, and, and some of the drugs flew onto oh, the guy. Man. Yeah. That is brutal, man. Yeah, it is brutal. I like how nobody's, like, running for cover. No, no one's running for cover. <laughs> also, no one's pointing up to where Seagal is. They're just... They're mesmerized. 
Dude, oh. hey, I'm going to make an observation about all these gunshot wounds and sure. the effects used to create them. Yeah. Uh, the people didn't have any squibs. They didn't have any fake blood. They didn't have anything like that. They just yeah. fell down, and then someone with a really crappy computer program added some blood. Did that guy's hair just fly off? No, that was blood going out the back of his head. He shot his hair off, actually, babe. (laughs) Which is, it's... VGA, at least. I I know you haven't seen a whole lot of of this stuff, but it's actually pretty common in gang wars for people to get their hair shot off. (laughs) Oh, Uh -oh. look what's going to happen here. He just shot him in the wrist. wrist. (laughs) It's the patented wrist shot. That's what he (laughs) does every time. Oh, I feel like those are some Commodore 64 quality graphics there. Dude, he's wearing that scarf because he's got a lot of neck going Dude, on. Dude, that guy's neck it has a yeah. neck. Yeah, why is he wearing a scarf? That doesn't fit the character at all. A character? The character is a guy who shoots people from a perch with a sniper <laughs> rifle. That's like a scarf that like a, a literature professor would wear. A woman. Dude, seriously, I would wear that. He looks kind of fey and arty in that scarf. <laughs> It's like everybody in this movie is just contractually obligated to look like a slime ball. Dude, have you noticed that, like, the kind of helicopters that they get in movies like this always seem, like, way too low rent for what they're supposed to be? Yeah. They're like, the president's here, and it's like some crappy, like, you know, (laughs) rent it for half an hour type situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dude, that guy's badge, that cop... It looks like the badges we were wearing in the in the fake movie poster you made for our, our movie with tropes. It does. I like those. I like those necklace badges. Yeah, balls, yeah. You know, like you don't gotta, you don't have to mess with it. You don't have to fiddle with it. You know, it's just there. KK's oh, watching the program. Found, he found the the end. He cut off his cigar. Oh, he did. That's a clue. If he had a necklace badge, that that wouldn't have been necessary. <laughs> You're right. You know, it's dangerous to walk around without your necklace badge. <laughs> Really? It's like a lanyard at a conference, you know? Like, You know what I've learned from this movie so far? What's that? If you put on weight at any point in your life, the answer is just to wear lots of coats and a scarf. <laughs> you know? If you're a swollen version of yourself. Big billowy coats. Dude, this is like a Christian movie. This is like a Carmen video. It, it kind of is. You know what this is, Zach? Yeah. This is, this is like a mad-libbed action movie. <laughs> in which you just... You throw in the word cartel and, like, uh, extortion and, like, cocaine and a, and a briefcase full of money and a seedy hotel room, and you have a movie, you know? Dude, is that actor laying on the bed in that way, like, the saddest thing you've ever seen? Because it is the saddest oh thing that gosh. I've ever seen. The baseball mitt? It does make me want to die. But yeah, that, other than that, it's all right. That's so interesting you that you responded that way because I, because I feel the same way. Do you, do you think his wife and son there in the picture are dead? Or do you think Yes, of course like, they are. Oh, obligatory, obligatory strip, strip club, club scene. KK, you came back just in time. Yeah, I'm so glad that I <laughs> this is part of the action this. movie Mad Lib formula. Yes, you're right. Dude, we need to make that Mad Lib and put it on the Gut Check Army page. Absolutely. So, And it's a multiple choice Mad Lib. You're not free there to you express go. yourself however you want. It's like... Aww. You know, look at him. CD coffee shop, bar, back alley with spark and steam. I, I, Zach, I hesitate to even ask this question, but I'm I'm gonna ask it anyway. Okay. What's up with Seagal's skin? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that, Ted? I uh, I don't know. It's got a weird sort of pallor to it. You know. <laughs> I I feel like he. You know how he dipped his uh, his little goatee in motor oil to make it look like he's not old. 
Uh-huh. I have a feeling he also does an awful lot of tanning and has an awful lot of makeup caked on to make it look like he's not wrinkled. Uh, you know, the, the tanning to kind of muddle the, the lines of aging and then all the, the spackle of makeup to fill in all the wrinkles. Yeah. And uh, I, I have a feeling what you're seeing is not really skin. Like, the skin is... It's a good distance behind that. Oh, someone doing coke. Mad Lib. Yep. <laughs> oh. dialogue is spot on. It this really is. This is how people talk in the real world, you guys. Dude, they all smoked so many cigars in this movie already. Dude, that's the one thing this movie has going for it. Maybe that's what's making his skin look so pallid. He looks like James Suckling. Dude. Oh, my God. Also, gosh. look at the local news set. Look news, at... news, news. News, news, Breaking news. news. <laughs> Again, common video. They didn't bother coming up with, like, a logo for the actual station. Or, like, a number for the station. My favorite channel in this fictional metro area is news. (laughs) It was the scary guy in the back, wasn't it? scary guy in the back, wasn't it? He's like, you know what, I see these scary guy in the back situations all the time. This is is textbook scary guy in the back. Is that guy playing with a ball of rubber bands? Is that what I'm seeing right there? That's Lieutenant Connolly. I feel like I really have a sense for kind of the layers of who Lieutenant Connolly is, you know? I do too. I feel like I know him. He's the kind of guy who plays with rubber band balls while they're discussing blowing up things. (laughs) Sorry, I got got transfixed by the film, you know? I know. I know you did. Oh, look at these arrests, Zach. Who are we arresting? I I don't follow. Anyone in long shorts. (laughs) Scuzzy guys in long shorts. Oh, Judas Priest, dude. Never have I seen a better collection of goatees than in this movie. <laughs> this movie is a, is a terrific goatee movie. <laughs> Zach, do we know what metro area this is? What city are we looking at here? I feel like it's probably shot in Toronto, and, and they never... It seems like all these B-movies happen in, like, the city. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. never oh, yeah. an actual city, just the city. Dude, Connolly. Connolly's hard at work at his desk. <laughs> Now he does a lot of things behind the scenes, like intangible things. <laughs> you know, people force. really don't appreciate Connolly the way they should. <laughs> I know. I'm a Connolly guy, man. I'm with Connolly in this movie. You know? The car says Metro Police. Oh, so Just, this is in Metro. This is in Metro, yeah. And that guy I thought it had a real news. Metro look to it, and and my suspicions were confirmed. It is indeed Metro. <laughs> you were like, you know, I spent a little time in college and, in Metro. Yeah, I actually took, like, a fall break trip to Metro one time. You guys, there are really good, like, artisan food stands downtown Metro. In Metro. Yeah, I know. Is Seagal the good guy in this? I don't know. Is he the good guy or the bad guy? Seagal's the bad guy, you guys. I don't know. He's killing all the bad guys. This is why it's like Moonduck. I don't feel like she cooks a whole lot, given the the scarcity of the spices on her spice rack. (laughs) There's just not a whole lot back there. Have you been watching the news this week? Have you heard this exposition I'm about to lay on you? <laughs> Have you been watching the news on Channel News? <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, guys. This is just one-seventh of what Steven Seagal put out in 2016. <laughs> There's seven times more than this. It was so, was so fake. fake! There was like six inches between his fist and her face. Do you think he owns that suit? Do you think that's that guy's own suit? Do you think that's that guy's only suit? <laughs> I do. I think it is. Dude, he's ruining her apartment. Yeah, that's really just... I like, he has no regard nice for before. her stuff. He shot him and blood went everywhere, but none of it got on the walls, because none of it was real. It's like a... It's like a... 
like a powdery little like yes. smoke thing that comes. It's like off. mealy blood. What do you guys think of the beard that's in a ponytail? Yeah, this guy that just got um, powder shot. KK just made the same observation. It's a beard ponytail. Yeah, he had a beard ponytail. What do you guys think of that? I missed that. I, I, what? One of the bad guys. The he other had a, one. There how was, do you have a beard in a ponytail? No, the beard was like in a little. Oh, it was. Zach, the beard was lashed. He lashed his beard. <laughs> lashed his I beard. actually like that. Uh, there was uh, a yeah. There was a guy in Justified who who had that, and I thought it was the money. Oh, that actually left a mark on the wall. They used something, some kind of spray paint or something. That was the whole blood budget right there. <laughs> oh, it's gone. Did you see it's gone now? It's back. Oh. Did his goatee get darker? It got darker. <laughs> did you give your life to save the world? No, it was. It, you did you it. give your life to save. He sounds like that guy who's like the Muppets band, like like frontman. Yeah. What's that guy's name? Doctor T. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's who he sounds like. Those are his first lines of dialogue in the whole picture. It took him a long time to memorize that, you guys. His brain isn't what it used to be. It took him like three days to shoot that scene. The super vigilante. <laughs> He's a super you, vigilante. You know what I've noticed about this movie? What's that? Nobody has a nice TV. You know, <laughs> all, all the TVs are kind of bad. I was going to ask, when, do you guys think this happens in the past? Because, well, like people have cell phones, but then there's also pay phones still, and the TVs are really crappy. Oh, no, Metro's known for that. Both of those things. <laughs> the kid is going to snipe him right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's an emissary of Seagulls. I, I didn't watch the Oscars. Did this get a nod for uh, best screenplay? <laughs> Best unoriginal screenplay. <laughs> that guy's still at his desk. He never leaves. Dude, that's how I'm going to not get sniped in this movie. Stay at your desk. Desk guy. Yeah. And he wears the same tie every day. It's his lucky tie. And that girl's in the same shirt. Is this all one day? It's all one day. <laughs> it's a long day, you guys. At the end of this very long day. <laughs> If you play this right endless at the end day. of 80-hour day. I mean, that's how the saying goes. That's the old adage, right? This is a day like Gut Check Literacy Month is a freaking month. <laughs> exactly. You know what I think we're moving toward here is is a scenario in which Connolly gets out from behind his desk. He's going to be the hero. <laughs> I hope so. I hope Connolly takes out Seagal. I'm a Connolly guy, man. I'm with Connolly. <laughs> Dude, look at this vibrant hey, nightlife in Metro. Yeah. When I when I went to Metro on fall break, I think we went to that club. Did you know it was run by an evil guy? I didn't. I was just naive and young. Did you, you know? see that guy pacing in the back, though? I saw the guy pacing in the back. I paced in the back. You know? Did you pace in the hallway? That's what you do in Metro. That's the signature dance. Dude, I go to Metro, I pace around in the hallway and in the back. That's what I do. Dude, I'll tell you what. Nobody sounds more like a fat guy when they talk than Steven Seagal. <laughs> Like, he's not even that fat, but he sounds like he weighs 700 pounds. <laughs> you know what he is, though, actually? He's, just like a, he's like a standard old guy, except that standard old guys don't make action movies anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Dude, it's kind of the same sort of sad as when you watch Charles Bronson's old stuff. Mm-hmm. Or his, his, his later stuff, I mean. We're like yeah, uh, yeah. Family of Cops 3, and like, mm-hmm. like uh, Death Wish 19. He couldn't even run anymore. Dude, Zach, there's another bad TV. Nobody has a good TV in this picture. Do you think he got that hair dye at, like, Rite Aid? I mean, like, 
you couldn't have somebody give it a couple shades. <laughs> yeah, that's like Dollar yeah. General hair dye. Yeah, I was gonna say Zach, if there's a cheaper hair hair dye place than Rite Aid, that's where he got it. Is this what I do now? Stab you. Oh, oh. <laughs> Ted, have you ever seen the Key and Peele skit with the like B movie <laughs> where he breaks everyone's necks? No, no. you would love it. I gotta send you the uh, YouTube link to it, dude. Oh, <laughs> oh, I liked that guy. He did a little jig when he got shot in the legs. Oh, Aaron, legs. You were fond of that bad guy, weren't you? I liked him. He was nice and skeevy. That's interesting. Aaron, there's nothing under scooting. your chair. Let go of the chair. Yeah, dude. Why is he so? Uh, uh, you know who he's trying to be, him. you guys. He's trying to be Statham, and he's failing. I'm sure this particle board table will block all those bullets. Wait, the cat- <laughs> Don't you move, don't do it. Did he talk like that before? No, he's like, he made a character choice late in filming. Felt like that's what the character would do. <laughs> he adopt an accent. <laughs> the old bomb under the chair trick. <laughs> I mean, who, who among us hasn't fallen for that once or twice, you know? I've been there. <laughs> Look how bad that TV is. You're right. Look how bad that dancing is. Dude, the the TV looks like a tube TV, but like a black and white one, like the one I used to watch in the the mid-80s. Oh, there's the You're right about the dancing. You know who's the one person who has the courage to have gray hair in this picture? It's Connolly. You're right. And it really stands out in this sea of jet ink black. (laughs) I feel like everybody's lashed up behind a bunch of coats in this movie. You know what that's I mean? what I feel is a really a strong suit. Oh! That was actually kind of sweet. <laughs> Captain Connolly. Yes! I feel like all, like, cop guys, like, they have this sweater with, like, the, the little shoulder pads in it, in it. You know what I mean, Zach? Look at his sweater, not his. <laughs> Do you think he and Porter are staying in the same hotel? It's like <laughs> gonna, two doors <laughs> over, yeah. They're going to run into each other on the elevator. It's going to be awkward. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a similar room. It's the same hotel. No. It's the same room, like, guys. They just turned the bedspread <laughs> over and filmed another one. Different. Yeah, it doesn't like, seem like Wayne's. I'll see you down at the pool later tonight. <laughs> no hard feelings. Dude, he just Marco like, Polo. So so everyone's getting ready to have a battle. This is actually, you guys, all, all kidding aside, this is a, a kind of scene that never fails to get me excited. Loading bullets into guns and then, like, putting on elaborate harnesses to lash guns to your body. <laughs> I wonder what the maid does with all the guns when she comes in to, like, turn down the room, you know? <laughs> she she kind of just nicely sets them to the side. That's right. Dude, Connolly's out from behind his desk again. I don't like this. Oh. oh. You know who's going to figure it out? Connolly from behind his desk. <laughs> Maybe the answer's on one of those clipboards that's hanging uh, on the wall there. <laughs> hey, look, it's the hotel where both of them are staying. <laughs> that's right. Where they awkwardly pass each other in the hallway going to get ice. <laughs> You're right, Aaron. Oh, but oh wait, no, it pictures. is still Porter's. Or maybe they just didn't film it in the right room. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, maybe you're right. Maybe they are rooming together. They're roommates. <laughs> it's hard to keep things separate, you know. They put this... tape down the, the middle of the room. You can't shoot me across the tape. This side's my side. <laughs> The old flare in a dark room trick. Oh. Oh. What? Why did he do that to the camera guy? That's awful. Dude, I know camera guys. I know guys who make their living doing that, and they're they're nice people. 
Dude, I love that the Metro like detectives get like a 1994 like Ford Taurus to drive around in. <laughs> These are actually we'll all a, left over from above the law. We'll give you a Chevy Corsica from 1996. <laughs> I'm calling your CB from a payphone. Say what? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's phone to CB technology. Dude, I'm telling you, I feel like those clipboards are going to come into play. <laughs> is this a new desk for Connolly? No, this is this is like the bullpen, I think. Oh yeah, this He's is like, like whenever I'm in here, everyone get out of the way so I can stand by this desk. <laughs> That's right. I'm a desk guy. Got to have a desk. Dude, I feel like news is going to have to get a new guy though. <laughs> you know? I can't believe the cameraman was knifed. I know. I'm I'm still upset about that. <laughs> I'll never forgive <laughs> Steven Seagal for that. Flashback to something that happened three seconds ago. <laughs> So Seagal doesn't exist? Seagal isn't even real, you guys. Porter. Porter is Seagal. Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. But she had both of those files. So this is, yeah, this is a Fight Club ripoff now. Yeah. Oh, have fun. (laughs) (laughs) He's trained in weapons and firearms. I knew that would come into play. (laughs) In case you didn't see all the kills in the movie, you're seeing all the kills in the movie again. (laughs) Oh, there's a lot of steam chugging up onto that roof. Mad Lib, once again. Yeah. <clears throat> so we're not going to see any more Seagal, I guess, you guys. Um, I think we might right here. Mm-hmm. So in, in his mind, Seagal is real. Yeah. yeah. So do, do both of these guys really exist? I think so. I think so, yeah. yeah. It's confusing because it sucks. Not, <laughs> not because it's, like, well thought out. Ooh, you guys... Yes, Fat karate. a fight scene. Fat karate. Sorry, I just yawned. I love how Seagal's barely moving his arms. Oh, wait, he has the exact same knife now. Maybe they maybe, are the maybe same Maybe they guy. are the same guy. They're the same guy. This is like a self-hatred thing, I think. I'm just leaving. I'm le- I quit the fight. I quit. What? Oh. <laughs> Why would he do that? Why would someone do I that? I love that, man. That's the best. <laughs> I'm just gonna run over here and jump through this skylight. That was so stupid. <laughs> Dude, those guys are so not in that helicopter. I love how not in the helicopter they are. That was are. the most green screened crap I have ever seen. You know what? He's actually he's not the he's the hero that Metro needs, not the hero Metro deserves. Dude, this is such a psychological thriller. <laughs> it's it's a it's a roller coaster. I'll spend hours just like turning this over in my head after we after we hang up. You I'm know? really pissed that the IMDb uh, forums are gone now because I would immediately go on and be like, you know, let's let's peel the onion, you guys. That's right. How many of those uh, those bombs does he have like hidden in his coat? He's actually skinny. It just looks because of all the bombs like he's let himself go. I feel like if I had a deranged alter ego, he wouldn't talk that weird. <laughs> Steven Seagal's character actually works at Benihana. That's why he's so <laughs> deft with the blade. I've, I knew I'd seen that move before. He's going he's gonna to flick a shrimp into his mouth right now. Make a little onion volcano. Yeah. Make a little onion volcano. Uh. <laughs> the lighting isn't even close to right. So he's pointing a gun at the real guy or the alter ego or what? I don't, I, I, you know. Wait, so that like basement looking place was the top floor? <laughs> All of the precinct, apparently. <laughs> Dude, if that fireball took out the helicopter, that is too big of a no, rip I don't on think the it diehard. Did. I told you Conley would figure it out. 
You know, I feel like this guy did some good work. Yeah, he wasn't that bad. Acting-wise, he yeah. wasn't that bad. Dude, it's downtown Metro. Gosh, I've walked those streets. There goes the Metro train. Mm, there goes the Metro now? Metro. Are we going to... Oh, no, but just... That's it, the... man. Cue the hard rock music mm-hmm. yeah. by the, the grunge scene of Metro. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't really know what to think of this movie. I know what to think of it. It sucked so bad. <laughs> Dude, does your TV want you to watch Iron Fist next? <laughs> it's not doing the thing with the thing where it says to watch Iron Fist, but uh, no. that thing was so horrible. That, that was was that worse than the one where he was a writer? I think it was actually. I think it was worse than anything. <laughs> so those were some great clips. Uh, I especially liked the third one. <laughs> you know, the third one was my favorite as well. That's so funny you, you mentioned that. Uh, but let me tell you something you may not know. Yeah. Um, actually, we, I think we talked about it a little bit, but not in one of the clips. Yeah. And that is that Steven Seagal mm-hmm. is from my town, mm. my hometown of Lansing, Michigan. Baby, that's incredible. How? Uh, yeah, I have so many I, d- I don't but... Yeah, go ahead. I have questions, too, like, why aren't we celebrating this? Yeah, why aren't we celebrating this? Why isn't there more of a, a, a I'll just use the word fuss, why isn't there more of a fuss or more more pomp and circumstance in Bay City over the fact that... No, no, it's it's Lansing, not Bay City. So he's oh. he, he's not from my, my hometown, hometown where I was born, he's from my adopted hometown where I live the, now. He's from the town, the metro area that you're in at current. Yeah. So you lived you lived also in the town that, that I did. birthed... Uh, oh, my goodness. And, and, and I don't know if you noticed this, but like the other people that are famous that are from Lansing, like yeah. uh, Malcolm X and and Magic Johnson and John Hughes and such, yeah. there is an awful lot of fuss. You know, there's statues yes, and there museums is. and stuff. Right. No, so, I have noticed that. I have. <laughs> well, why not about this this man? I I feel yeah I I I I just feel bad about that. I feel like there should be more. My, my actual hometown of Bay City, uh, mm-hmm. Madonna, is from there. Yes, that's right. And there are no statues. In fact, there was a statue of Madonna they tried to give to Bay City, and, and they were like, no, we don't Who, Who's want they? It. Like, Madonna's people tried uh, yes. to give a statue? Like, yeah. like, here's a statue of me. Here's a statue. And they were like, they, they, keep it. Yeah. I'd like to gift it to you, city of Bay City. And, and the city was like, nah, we're good. Yes, exactly. Ha! That's funny. I wonder... I wonder if Steven Seagal hasn't tried something similar, though, with, with Lansing. I wonder if there's a Seagal statue out there somewhere that, that's just waiting to be sort of erected in the, in the greater Lansing area. Well, the thing and is, so, having, the university, having Michigan State University here, we, you could see, like, a wave of, you know, ironic hipster, like, like yeah. fundraising and actually putting up a statue and seeing if we could get Seagal here to, like, speak at the unveiling. And that would be fun. It would be super fun. Why hasn't the MSU art department does, done something with this? Yeah, a bunch you know? of hacks is what they are. If they don't, they I mean, really are. They don't have I the mean, vision to do this. You're supposed to be teaching those kids about art, yet there's no Steven Seagal statue in the in the <laughs> Lansing metro area. I, 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 you know, I cry BS. I mean, this this is not this is not right. This is not a thing. So, um, if there was to be a statue, Zach, of Seagal in the greater Lansing area, what would it look like, and where would you put it? Let's let's put our city planner hats on right now. (laughs) (laughs) I would think I'm thinking maybe just a bust, okay, but like an insanely big bust, like as tall as a man. Yeah, as tall as like as big as the Magic Johnson statue outside of the Breslin Center on campus. 
I like but just that. a bust, just a face, just a bust. No, yeah, like like where it comes off and like it, it, it's basically dead. it's just head and shoulders. Yeah, <laughs> calling boy, back to a different joke. Boy, that's thematic. I mean, if that doesn't take me back, I don't know what does. So, yeah, just the the head and shoulders of of Seagal. And, question, and what, what I was era? just about to say, what era? The question yeah. is, would it be ponytail Seagal with mm. the clean cut and fairly thin face? You know, yeah. or would it be like under siege where he started to get kind of mashed potato-y in the <laughs> jowls area? No, you know, when, when he doesn't have a, uh, a ponytail, somehow mm. the balance of his whole head is thrown off. It really is, yeah. Or Code of Honor Seagal. I mean, do we do we go current? Because I think, I think a lot of people who have been exposed to the film Code of Honor would <laughs> want, <laughs> you know, would, would want something to kind of capture that. Uh, that era's Seagal. Ted, so, Ted, is it possible that Netflix is so excited about me watching that movie because only like four people have ever watched it? It, it could be. It could very well be. Like, I got a handwritten thank you note from Netflix uh, <laughs> after watching the movie. I, I just felt really, I personally cared for by Netflix. How much uh, do you in, think he makes on one of those things? If he's got to do boy, seven a year to keep it afloat. See, I have so many questions now. And again, you're involved in this now. You're involved in our in our picture in, in Silverdome. And like now that we've made a movie, like I just I, the math isn't working for me because somebody had to spend a lot of money on. I mean, a lot of money relative being a relative term. But they, I mean, there were a lot of locations in Code of Honor. There were there was a huge cast. You know, there yeah, were a lot was of a people crap movie, movie, but it was clear that they I mean, they, they cut some corners, but you can't. Yeah. Cut- there's only so much you can save when you're having to fill two hours of, of screen I time. The, I think the corner that they cut, you know, just kind of inferring this after having, again, done our own movie and, and having watched a lot of movies, I think they just did it all in a huge hurry. Like, they, they did, like, it seemed like they did, like, one take of every scene and, you know, yeah. they just kind of rushed through it. But there were there were still a lot of people in a lot of locations. So, you and, know. And it all, seemed like the twist had been, like, decided on after they'd filmed up to that point chronologically actually it seemed like the twist was decided in about 1997 when all of those other movies that they stole the twist from had come out so i don't know i i my guess is and and feel free to push back on this i feel like code of honor has been in the works for like 25 30 years so so you know this is the very last portion like the making of it but right it's been percolating it really has been percolating this is someone's vision um for a long time so how do you yeah, but that begs the question, how do you make a movie like this work financially? And, and I don't know. Like, I don't know. So Seagal is obviously, like, producer, director, actor. So he's, you know, he owns the movie. Um, so I don't know if he, if he in, did his own investment in the movie, and he just has made the numbers work on these, like, schlock action films where he can turn one out every couple of months and sell it yeah, to Netflix. It's about and volume. Make, That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, it's about volume. Like, yeah. he's in the volume business now. I mean, he's like the price club of action movies, you know, where he can just do a bunch of them. And maybe he maybe he's got the process down where he knows he can make X amount of profit on each movie, just selling it to Netflix. And he just keeps doing them. the thing that I think kind of uh, just brings me down about it. You know, it's yeah. fun to laugh at. But then once in a while, it I really think is. about honestly, mm-hmm. like hard to kill and above the law and, and uh, out for yeah. justice. These are movies that I watched before like i should have been watching them and that's why i was watching them like we had a a group of friends we'd be like oh the new seagal movie and Mm -hmm. honestly i feel like under siege 
is mm-hmm. is like a pretty decent what if Die Hard happened in blank movie. Oh sure, sure. Like yeah, the bad were... guys, Gary Busey and Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty well done, is it not? No, it is. Those were fun, like good movies with like real actors. Um, those were big Hollywood like star vehicle movies back in uh, in like the middle school years for us, you know. So. So why um, is Tommy Lee Jones still making real movies and Steven Seagal is now doing this? I have no idea, man. That's a really interesting question. I think maybe it's because what Tommy Lee Jones brings to the table as an actor ages a lot better than what Steven Seagal brought to the table <laughs> as an actor. I think you just hit the nail squarely on the head. That was like a – remember when Mr. Miyagi hit the nail once and it went mm-hmm. right in? Yeah. That's what you just did rhetorically. That, I mean, <laughs> that was – Baby, thank you so much. That's a that's sweet of you to say. <laughs> In fact, I, th- I feel like that that kind of answers all my questions vis-a-vis yeah. all of this. It's all about how badly, dude. I have a I, can I can I read a review that another IMDb user put up on on this movie <laughs> uh, about about the Seagal movie? Yeah, yes. I would I would love to hear that. It's 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 medium short, okay. uh, and, and I thought it was a great review. It's called "So yeah. Bad It's Good." Mm. Ten stars out of ten. Oh wow. By Hi. either Matt Croman or Matt C. Roman, more likely the, the latter. And my hat mm. is off to Matt because – and he's from the United Kingdom, so if I mm. could do the British accent, I would. This movie is 10 out of 10 for entertainment. It is so terrible <laughs> that I lost my spot. It's so terrible. It, it's so terrible. <laughs> I'm calling this app all out of sorts. Dude, you're all out of sorts. You're doing a good job, though. I'm going to get you through it. You know what? Me – and Mossy Oak Energy Orange are going to get you through this app if it's the last thing we do. All right, so I want all you right. to here we go. I want you to saddle up, man. Hop on the metaphorical four wheeler that is this episode, <laughs> and we're going to go out into the dead brush and get through it. Okay. It is so terrible. It is actually entertaining in its utter direness. Steven Seagal, overweight, <laughs> mumbling unintelligibly, sporting a horrible box <laughs> box beard. Uh-huh. And unreal jet black hair is a magnetic presence on the screen. It's almost mm. impossible to tear mm. your eyes away from him. I would agree with that. The Having plot? seen the movie. Ridiculous. <laughs> I, can just the me- I can just imagine the meeting of Z-list execs and Steven Seagal. Seagal. <laughs> I've just read the greatest script ever. Exec. Who wrote it? Seagal. I did. I did it. <laughs> Exec. What's it about? Seagal. It's about a good bad guy and a bad good guy. They're mirror images of each other. Yin and yang. I'll yes. play the good bad guy. He's an ex-Special Forces vigilante seeking to rid the city of criminal scum. No, wait, I got it mixed around. He's the bad good guy. No, my bad. I confused myself. I was right the first time. What about the bad good guy? Well, I'm glad you asked. He'll be a fed. And one of my ex-Special Forces buddies with a deep relationship to my character, he'll speak like Christian Bale's Batman at one point. (laughs) He must utter the lines, I'm just a sinner looking for redemption. Also, he'll kill people with knives, because what kind of FBI agent doesn't wield dual knives? (laughs) Dialogue? Overblown. Seagal mumbles and grumbles his way through a script that seems to believe it's, it possesses some kind of philosophical credibility. It mm. does not. He mm. also seems to drift from one accent to another. I'm not sure where he's supposed to come from. Is he black? Cajun? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's actually an homage to all his other movies, right? <laughs> like, because he was Cajun in one of the movies. Was he really? Yeah, Shantz. Wasn't he Shantz? No, that was Van Damme, dude. Oh, sorry. My bad. I feel like I feel like Van Damme aged a lot better. 
Yeah. Then uh, he's got that Van Johnson thing going on, and, and he's yeah. actually embraced his own kind of self-referential yeah. humor. Um, nope. Yeah, th- for sure. The conclusion of this is great. As for the fight scenes, they were comical and clumsy. Seagal is not the man he was, and seeing him try to recreate fight scenes from earlier movies is painful to watch. Fast <laughs> hand-to-hand combat devolves into comical slap fights. Gunfights are all characterized by terrible CGI blood spatter. The mm. end twist? Well, I don't want to give away too much, but entertaining to say the least. You must watch this movie. Oh, I love it, baby. I love it. That's a good review. That's a guy who gets it. That's a guy who understands what's what's happening, right? Dude, I, I think that I'm done talking about Seagal. I want to talk about something that we can celebrate that doesn't bring me down. Let's do it. Yeah, we got to get you. We we got to not bring you down. All right. What do you got? <laughs> I, think I'm, I think I'm rubbing off on you here. You're kind of out of sorts now too. I, I am. I'm not out of sorts emotionally. I'm like out of sorts like verbally, but but emotionally I'm fine. Oh, emotionally I'm okay too. What, what gave you the idea that I wasn't? Well, I don't know. You just seem glum. Oh. Huh. Right. <laughs> well, you're too strong to be glum. You can't be glum. <laughs> oh yeah, I can't you're too be. macho just, to be glum. I'm just not at the moment. I don't know. You're, you're like Steven Seagal. He can't. He he literally can't be glum either. You know what? Yeah. He <laughs> Actually, all of his emotions just come off as glum to me. <laughs> That's <but> true. <laughs> they just make others glum. Teddy, I want to talk about uh, the gut check white paper but before mm. that i i want to talk about this text that you sent me a few days ago that i <laughs> that i found very amusing uh-huh. uh, hold on I'm, I'm going back okay here we go <laughs> is this okay do i have your permission to read this text? oh absolutely yeah 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 <laughs> it says and this came a full day after uh after uh the the text before it so this is totally out of the blue yeah um dude if we got <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the childlike excitement in this text. <laughs> yeah. Dude, if we got CBs in our cars, could we use them to chat like whenever? I've always wanted a CB in my car. <laughs> and I said, ha, huh, only in the same town. And you said, balls. <laughs> Dude, the thing is, I have always wanted a CB in my car, and I've never had one. And, uh... Yeah, it occurred to me. So we were we were driving home from spring break. We were in Oxford, Ohio, and um, I, I had stopped at a truck stop, and they always have those ads for like CBs. And I was like, man, these aren't that expensive. And you know, I bet as a company, like we could have we could have like company CBs, and just you know, provided we were both in our cars, we could uh, we could talk to each other whenever we wanted. Which is it? To be clear and to be fair, I don't want to mislead anybody. That's a thing that we can already do, just via. <laughs> Via our phones, but to me, it, it just it seemed a lot more fun to do it via a CB. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely an excitement level that that, that uh, it, yeah. you're you're doing this uh, in a kind of Michael Weston way. You're doing it in a Michael Weston way or in a Dukes of Hazard way. Dukes, I mean, yes, I would, you're doing it in a Roscoe would, P. Coltrane way. That's right. I would posit that you take the CBs out of the Dukes of Hazard, and you you no longer have a show. You know, mm, you, you yeah. don't have a show. You don't have a program. I mean, if, if Roscoe P. Coltrane is like constantly like fishing around in his pants, like for his cell phone to be able to 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 call Boss Hog. This doesn't work. Um, you don't have a program anymore. Um, you just got a bunch of people driving around in their cars, like making calls on their cell phones. And I can see that anywhere. You Dude, know what I mean? <laughs> I see <laughs> that when I, I'm trying to avoid that on the road. Now, d- exactly. did they have a CB in the General Lee? I can't remember. 
Oh, you you bet they did. You bet they had a CB. In the and they talked to like Cletus and Uncle Jesse. Talked to Cletus. They talked to Uncle Jesse. You betcha. Absolutely. <laughs> so basically, we're just a few years too late. You and I should have had CBs in our cars when you lived here in town. Dude, we could have had a, like a decade or more of like CB talk in our cars when I lived in town. <sighs> Judas. Dude, that's sad. That's that's a, wasted opportunities. What an opportunity lost, man. Ah, oh, just bummed. Now, see, I'm bringing you down. Let me let me skip over here. I, I I want to talk about our gut check paper. I want to read a little from our gut check paper, and yeah. then there was that little bit of a uh, not a not an argument, but more of an academic debate that we had about some pronunciation. Mm, uh, yes, or that's some right. Spelling rather. Let's we, get we into agree that. On the Let's get into that. Um, would you like to read another section uh, of yours from the Hans Booby White paper? I would. Let me uh, let me produce that paper and find a section to read so zach let me let me just introduce this in a couple of ways so we 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 do a lot of books at gut check press we do the podcast um but but in our heart of hearts we're we're scholars um and we do academic work and we've put out two white papers three now. Uh, yeah three white papers i'm sorry uh three white papers three papers of an academic nature uh that have brought us a lot of renown in the academic community. Uh, the last of which is a paper called Hans Bubby, I'm Your White Paper. <laughs> that, constructs, that's so brilliant. Constructs of diehard characters nearly 30 years later using psychological profiles, cultural modeling, computer algorithms, and expert analysis. And, and I'm just going to dive right into this debate while I look for something to read. But the debate is over how you spell Bubby. Yes, um, yes. I spelled it B-U-B-B-E. Mm-hmm. You spelled it B-U-B-B-Y. And, and what's funny, what occurs to me is that we use the technology in our studios many times a day to look at people uh, who are funny or to look at IMDb pages. But neither of us bothered <laughs> to look up the spelling of booby. Is there and, an official spelling, do you think? think I don't in the know Webster's Dictionary? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to Google it both ways and see which one has more hits and yeah, i kind of think it will be yours honestly interesting um, let's see here mm-hmm. hans booby with a y uh-huh uh 1950 results <laughs> hans booby with an e 219 results oh interesting now, it may be that yours is the more purest way mm-hmm. and that's why there are fewer people and mine is more kind of the the sellout way mm. you know what yeah. i like about it though What's that? We're both right. <laughs> you know? We we're we're both right. So this isn't an either or. This is uh this is this is us both being right. And, I like that uh, too. And that's what I like for the program. Zach, I'm just gonna read a sort a short section here. Um you feel free to find another section for yourself to read. But this okay. is a this is a retrospective on various characters. So what we've done is is to catch up with various people in the uh in the movie in Die Hard. Um and I looked at a guy who's who's on screen for a very short time. Uh, he's the convenience store cr- uh, clerk. So the guy, <laughs> the guy with the big kind of walrus mustache and the round face, um, who sells all of the Twinkies to uh, Sergeant Al Powell. Um, so here it is. This is this section is called Baggett Big Time, the convenience <laughs> store clerk. This guy was just working his way through graduate school at USC, where he was doing an MFA in creative nonfiction. He now teaches four sections of freshman comp at San Diego State University and has written an as-yet-unpublished memoir about the Nakatomi incident 
entitled Les Infants Nakatomi, a drama in three parts. <laughs> he is embittered about being pretty much the only person connected to the incident who hasn't published a book. But <laughs> the thing is... we're connected to eventually... <laughs> That's so true. Except this poor guy. Yeah, this but the is, thing this is, Morris mustached guy's the only one. His writing just isn't all that great. <laughs> Zach, if you would, I'd like you to. I'd like you to read the next one. The next what? one's very short. You didn't finish that, did you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the end of it is the writing isn't. His writing just isn't all that great. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Stepped mm. on the last line there. It's, that's because okay. I'm uh, all out of source. Um, mm-hmm. This is another where are they now type situation, mm-hmm. and it's uh, called You're Just Going to Have to Kill Me, Joseph mm. Yashinobu Takagi. Takagi. Joe Takagi entered the story of the incident with a bang as Hans Gruber recited a laundry list of Takagi's accomplishments for all to hear, and it was an impressive list. Berkeley, Stanford, Harvard. What Gruber didn't mention was that because of his sense of Japanese minimalism, everyone at these schools loved hanging out in Takagi's dorm rooms. They were very zen. The same sense of fluid efficiency helped him to climb the corporate ladder and become president of Nakatomi Investments Group at the age of 48. Despite the semi-lavish Christmas party he was throwing for the troops, footnote, on Christmas Eve, who attends a company party on Christmas Eve? Uh, was that to show that they were all like completely sold into the, the corporate Dude, interest and didn't have families? Or? Yeah, it's strange. It's really strange. I, I had never given that a ton of thought, to be honest. Like that pregnant lady is like, ostensibly there's a husband somewhere and he's not even there. And Right, um, like he doesn't want to spend Christmas with her? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, despite the semi-lavish blah, 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 he really did operate with a sort of organizational and physical minimalism that was rare mm. for the decade of decadence that was the 1980s. Mm. Takagi's active role in the incident came to an abrupt halt, also with a bang, when a 9mm bullet tore through his brain, causing an intraparenchymal <laughs> hematoma accompanied by cerebral edema and critically high intracranial pressure. <laughs> Within two minutes, Takagi's heart had stopped beating with its trademark efficiency, <laughs> and all of his bodily systems shut down. Mm. Footnote, shut them down now. now. <laughs> Early the next morning, his body was moved to O'Reilly's funeral home on Hollywood Boulevard. Had they been able to ask Takagi, or had they even thought about it for a minute, they would have realized that, despite embracing the culture of his adopted homeland, Takagi would have preferred a traditional Japanese funeral, after which his body, placed in a simple wood casket, would have been cremated, simple and efficient. But Takagi's ex-wife, Barbara Babs Flores, wound up making all the decisions. (laughs) As such, Takagi was embalmed, placed in a solid oak coffin, and buried six feet beneath the surface of the earth. This considerably slowed the normal eight- to ten-year process of human tissue decomposition. Takagi decayed incredibly slowly for the first 21 years in the ground. However, a tree root cracking the shell of the coffin in 1999 exposed his body to the elements, thus speeding his decomposition along. In 2014, Takaki finally became an actual skeleton with nothing else to complicate matters. In mm. many ways, this is the ultimate in efficiency and minimalism. <laughs> it's not nearly as satisfying as he had hoped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby, that's classic. Classic. Um, yeah, isn't it, isn't it fun to do these white papers? And, and I think... You know, fun is the wrong word because we're academics and we're very serious about this and this is serious research. But um, nevertheless, I enjoyed it. So we did uh, we did one on Rocky Four. 
Uh, and we also that's did the, one. That's the real gold, golden child, if you will. It's gold standard. Yeah, it's the gold standard in gut check uh, academic white papers. But uh, but we, we we gave it the old college try with this one as well. And um, Zach, our time is running low, but we we have one one last thing that we need to accomplish here in the program, and that is uh, reading another chapter uh, in Gut Check Literacy Month. So uh, Gut Check is about giving as a company. We're about literacy, and uh, we've written a book. Um, called Reraptured. And Reraptured is a uh, is a full-length rapture novel in the vein of Left Behind. And we're uh, we're we're working toward the the kind of rousing climax here at the end of uh, Reraptured Zach. So, uh, I what... think this is going to be the end of the climax and then all that's left is the epilogue. Oh, fascinating. So we're ready for chapter 32, right? Thanks for a great rapture. Am I right about that? And I believe that's it. Yeah. It's actually kind of romantic in Duke Morrison's office when the lights are dimmed. There's a light rain falling outside, and the rest of the frantic fans in the large family homeschool section, which Morrison's mezzanine-level office looks out on, have been cleared to safety. For their trouble, each family in that section was given a season ticket for next year and a handsome hardcover volume called The Illustrated History of the Denver Values, published by Abeka Publishing, LLC, which is itself a subsidiary of Strongbow Incorporated. <laughs> which is a subsidiary of a large multinational defense contractor. <laughs> the only sound he hears is the beating of his own doer's engorged heart <laughs> and the tinny but passionate eschatological preaching by Dr. John Piper that is coming out of Kate's iPod. Morrison has his eyes closed, listening intently when he growls, this stuff makes sense. Kate smiles. The hot... Hot but slightly insecure and snotty but smart girl character in the movies is always named Kate, thinks Morrison. He smiles. <laughs> Dude, I remember being at your house and we decided that randomly, in the spirit of like random um, twists at the end of, uh, spiritual twists at the end of, of Christian movies and books, we would just randomly have Kate be like reformed, even though it didn't fit anything that happened before that. Yeah, no, I All like right. it. I like it. Uh, Dr. Lewis Ironsides is famished. What an evening it's been. He grabs... <laughs> <laughs> I believe we wrote this whole thing together. Um, I think we did, yeah. I remember doing it, in fact. It was super fun. <laughs> he, he grabs... <laughs> Sorry, give me a second. Uh-huh. He grabs a hot dog off an abandoned concession cart, surmising that it's not really stealing if there's a rapture happening and the cart is unmanned, which... <laughs> Which, ironically, is what the bumper sticker on the side of the car says. (laughs) He jams the hot dog halfway in his mouth and starts the long, chilly climb up the stadium light stanchion, from which he hopes to retrieve Tim Van Shrimpy. Having been so coldly passed over by Duke Morrison, Carol Ann has agreed to marry Tad, but only under the condition that Ironsides brings Dr. Van Shrimpy down to her. The conversation ended with him saying, whatever, but in such a way that suggests he'd actually do it. (laughs) The CIA ordered black helicopter carrying special agents Johnson and Johnson, no relation, (laughs) hovers dangerously close to the stadium light stanchion. Van Shrimpy and Strongbow look at each other. What's this? Strongbow asks. It's my ride, says Van Shrimpy, somewhat sheepishly. But I thought we were going to, you know, keep going up like floating, Strongbow says. The disappointment registering in his dreamy blue eyes and the creases on his chiseled cheekbones. Van Shrimpy is silent for a moment. Me too, says Van Shrimpy, finally letting the defeat register on his own shellac features for just a moment. (laughs) 
But I've got a show taping tomorrow morning. I've got to be in makeup by 8 a.m. It comes early. If there's anything Strongbow understands, it's the need to keep media commitments. He has, unbeknownst to Van Shrimpy, arranged for the CBS Sports helicopter to ferry him to safety in the event that the rapture doesn't actually happen. He has promised an exclusive interview and a signed jersey to the producer in exchange. Van Shrimpy pauses, the wind from the helicopter's rotors having made a mess of his quaffed hair. <laughs> Can I ask you something, he says. Fire away, says Strongbow. Will you sign my jersey? He opens his sport jacket, revealing the officially licensed Strongbow jersey. He produces a Sharpie. Strongbow signs it, thanks for a great rapture, Ted Strongbow. With that, Van Shrimpy ascends, seemingly without help, into the open door of the helicopter. Special Agent Johnson helps him into the cabin, where he yells, Feels like Saigon! Woo! (laughs) (laughs) To which Van Shrimpy replies, I was in 8th grade. He wasn't in 8th grade, though. He was at least a freshman in college. Nearing the top of the light stanchion, Emma's grip is weakening. Also weakening with her image of seeing Van Shrimpy engulfed by the mouth of a helicopter is her resolve. Her dream was to be raptured along with her hero, and now that dream is dying. Strongbow is still atop the light stanchion, but rather than doing anything messianic, he appears to be updating his Twitter feed and texting his agent via a slim iPhone he keeps tucked in the back of his football pants. She closes her eyes and feels the sensation of falling, just like in a dream. She is awakened from the dream as her thigh slams into Lewis Ironside's shoulder, transferring her momentum into him like billiard balls. (laughs) (laughs) Lewis Ironside slams into the stadium concourse after falling nearly 100 feet. He feels a pain in his shoulder but is otherwise okay, save for the piece of hot dog that has become lodged in his larynx. He would scream for help, except that there's a hot dog lodged in his larynx. I think it's a larynx, isn't it? I don't know, dude. (laughs) Luckily for him, a father with his 12 children streaming out of a large family homeschool section stomps on his diaphragm, (laughs) dislodging the hot dog. Sometimes it's good to be Lewis Ironsides. He can survive just about anything, this guy. I was supposed to get two passengers, shouts Special Agent Johnson out the door of the hovering chopper. I'm waiting for the CBS helicopter, shouts Strongbow with a wave. I'm doing an exclusive. Have a great interview, shouts Johnson as the chopper turns and heads for the mountains. <laughs> Strongbow thinks he sees a single tear escape Van Shrimpy's eye as the machine roars away. Van Shrimpy silently wipes <laughs> away the tear, just like 88 all over again. Mm. Dr. James Wiles, having secured a stadium schematic, has begun to search for a way out. Around him, pandemonium erupts as both Chicago and Denver players are either fighting, discussing their investments, or photographing the scene on their cellular devices. Riot cops have begun marching through the stadium, giving the whole thing a real Fellini-esque post-apocalyptic patina. He then realizes that Duke Morrison would never use the word patina in such a smug context, which may be why his papers get published and why Wiles's don't. He hangs his head in, in more silent, angry shame. <laughs> His head down, he walks right into a wall in the southeast corner of the end zone. After feeling around on the padding for a moment, he finds a latch, which opens a door, which leads to the tunnel through the sub-sub-basement of the stadium. He takes another moment to look at the chaos around him. This, thinks Wiles, is why I never go to football games. <laughs> like that happens every time. Exactly. It's always a rapture fiasco. Back in the late model BMW, he fires the engine and pops in the Indigo Girls live at Budokan, which never ceases to calm him down. 
<laughs> Just as he's closing his tired eyes, a text beeps through his phone. He looks down. Van Shrimpy. He opens the text, which reads, I've always admired your writing. I'd love to interview you for a copywriting position on the show. Call me. He smiles and pulls out of the emptying parking lot, squealing the tires just a little bit. Rabbi Pastor Avraham Ben Yeshua has fully embraced his identity as the Antichrist. (laughs) After breaking into an empty coach's office and making a list of pros and cons, he is certain... (laughs) He knows, according to dispensational doctrine, that the Antichrist must be a Jewish believer, and he is, in (laughs) fact, a messianic rabbi pastor, sort of. (laughs) Beyond that, not only is he pretty sure he caused the exploding head on the front page of the Drudge Report, he he also really enjoyed controlling Max Darby and smashing him into the concrete. This, he thinks, is the kind of behavior that really only an Antichrist would enjoy. He then picks up the coach's phone, dials 9 to get an external line, and makes a few calls about replicating the chip and the controller. He then tries laughing maniacally, but the acoustics are bad in the empty office, and he just feels a little stupid about it. He dials 9 again and calls his wife, letting her know that he'll be home for a late dinner and not to worry about the bruises on his nose, which happened in a lunchtime rollerblading accident, to which she replies, Aw, Joshy. To which he replies, I prefer Rabbi Pastor, and then hangs up without saying goodbye. Ooh, cold. (laughs) That's cold. After having the hot dog dislodged and feeling a new lease on life, as it were, Ironsides began again on the long, slow climb up the light stanchion. His climb had been interrupted, however, by hundreds of military-grade M16 rounds ripping through his torso. He fell from the stanchion again and is now resting comfortably in a room at the Aurora, Colorado Holiday Inn Express, where tomorrow he'll enjoy a free continental breakfast before beginning the long drive back home. He'll stop along the way to begin writing Sunday's sermon. (laughs) This guy, he's been through a lot. And the worst is yet to come in the sequel, man. It really is. It really is. Yeah, he takes a beating. (laughs) With Kate's beautiful head nestled into the crook between his bicep and bicep and his considerable pectoral muscle, Duke Morrison feels like he could stay here, here being his office, forever. Except that it's getting late and things seem to have calmed down outside his office window, where migrant workers of all color and stripe have appeared on schedule to clean up after the game. Everything looks fine. Want to see the field? He asks her. It's really pretty at night. She smiles. Duke Morrison could ask her to go see a waste treatment facility, and she would go at this point. He gathers her into his arms, and a private elevator in his office whisks them down to field level. It's breathtaking, Kate says, taking in the lights, the bright green field, and the empty stadium. I really do love this game, says Morrison, adding, Let's get married. The tone of his voice, along with the fact that he's never said anything non-serious, tells her that he's serious. She gazes into his slightly bloodshot eyes and says, yes. She then gazes into the distance, dreaming of bridesmaids' dresses, flowers, and cake. (laughs) No, I meant right now, he says. He begins (laughs) riffling through his Denver Values playbook, coming to the last page, which has the kind of copy that a pastor might recite when performing a wedding. Alongside it, on the other page, is a a certification of some kind. Here's the deal, he says. I have the same sort of official powers in this stadium as a ship captain has, like, on his ship. (laughs) She's listening, silently. Meaning that I can do weddings and funerals and stuff if I want. She 
She makes a mental note of how sexy he looks when he's talking about things that he can and can't do. <laughs> so, uh, do you, Kate Russell, take Duke Morrison? <laughs> From halfway up a light stanchion on the northeast side of the stadium, Emma smiles and thinks to herself how romantic it all looks. <laughs> she, she also thinks about how cold she is. <laughs> They're both, Kate and Duke, secure in the fact that there will be a tomorrow, and that in it, the tomorrow, they'll be married. <laughs> Kate giggles a little, and for the first time in decades, Duke Morrison really laughs. He's completely sober. Oh, baby. You know, you know what occurs to me in the wake of this? Yeah. We're good writers. We're good at this. We're, we're, we're good at what we do. Dude, gut check. Gut check. Gut check. Yeah, gut check. Exactly. Dude, I, Here, here's the, I'm really, I'm here's really the, excited after, after reading that. I'm really excited for us to finish the sequel. Dude, I totally agree. That's what I was just about to say. Like, why are we not dropping everything else that we have to do, including our day jobs, <laughs> um, to just write this sequel? This should be, this should be like priority number one. In fact, as soon as we get off the phone, I'm going to, I'm going to search around on my computer for it and open it up and be, like, excited I'll about tell it. you what, dude. You and I are going to be together for a whole day in New York, are we not? Yes. Yes, we are. We need to be, like, noticing things since there's so much of the, the sequel takes place there in New York. Um, yeah. It, it can fuel – it can kind of fuel our, our muse, if you will. It's really a New York book, Zach. It's a New York novel. You know, it's like the city is a character. You know, <laughs> with, with a little of uh, the the Hamptons thrown in. Not, what did we call the villages? The uh... I don't know. Something funny though. So, baby, without uh, without further ado, um, do you do you think we'll record one more time uh, before Israel? I would like to think so. Yeah, I would like to think so. And I'd too. like to record Absolutely. one in New York, yes. and at least one in Israel. Absolutely. Uh, so until then, we will see you next time.